1 Corinthians chapter 6. All right, beginning in verse 1, here we go. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute among the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and before unbelievers... To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your brothers. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it, um, how it meets us in every difficulty and area and struggle of our lives and gives us instruction. And Father, we pray that we might live out the gospel in, in the way that we handle conflicts with one another. Uh, Jesus, you died for our sins. Uh, you paid the penalty for them. God, you gave us grace. Uh, you gave us life. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would live out uh, those truths, live out that grace in the way that we deal with one another. Father, please give us instruction today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. What we find here, kind of, I want to set it up by giving you a three-step process. Okay, what's happening in the Corinth, Corinthian church? Uh, number one, there are conflicts in the church. Okay, so that's number one. There's conflicts in the church. There's grievances. There's disagreements. There's hurt feelings. All that stuff. Okay, that's number one. Number two. They are not handling it, okay? They're not reconciling. They're not getting together, praying about this thing, working it out, looking at the Scriptures, asking Jesus for help. They're not dealing with their sin. They're not dealing with the conflicts. Number three, instead of dealing with it, they're just going to the courthouse. They're suing each other. They're going after each other. They're taking each other to court. They're getting someone, some, some judge to try to rule in their favor to stick it to their brother, okay? And those are kind of the three things that are happening in Corinth. And Paul addresses those in the rest of this passage. Now, first of all, the first one, there's disagreements, there's grievances, there's conflict in the church. Paul's really not actually talking so much about that, okay? Because really, that's just kind of a given, isn't it? Notice verse 1 says, when one of you has a grievance against another. Do you notice it doesn't say, if this ever perhaps happens, you know? Do you notice it says, when it happens, okay? And I believe it says, when it happens, because the reality of it is, when you're in a family, there's going to be grievances, right? When you're in a family, there, there's going to be conflicts. When you're in a family, there's going to be disputes. We have that in our family all the time, you know? I'll send the girls up to clean their room. All of a sudden, there's a grievance, all right? Avery will come down with a grievance. Haven's not doing anything, you know? She's just playing with Barbies, and I'm having to do everything, you know what I mean? We have grievances all the time. Uh, who spilled the cocoa puffs? Who didn't clean up the milk on the table, you know? I mean, we have those kind of conflicts all the time because we're a family. Well, guess what? Link Avenue, we are a family, are we not? We're, 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 we're one church, we're, we're three services on two campuses, and we're a family, okay? We're the family of God. And as such, there are going to be times where there's some grievances, there's some broken relationships. And let me tell you the reason why I know that's going to happen, because you're sinners, okay? 
And I am too, okay? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We're broken people. We, we, we don't always think like we ought to. We don't always say what we ought to. We don't always do what we ought to. We're broken people. And because of that, there's going to be some conflict, all right? And, and really, it's almost inevitable because what we do here is we promote close relationships, okay? We want you to love each other. We want you to, to take care of each other. We want you to encourage each other. We want you to share. We want you to be hospitable. We want you to have each other to each, each other's home. We want you to meet together during the week and because we want you to have those kind of relationships, you know what? That, that's almost going to produce an arena where there's going to be conflict, right? Because here's what's going to happen. You know, when Dave wants to put up his fence, he's going to say, Hey, pastor, would you come help me put up my fence? And I'm going to be like, Yeah, I'll come help you, brother. You're my friend. You're my Christian brother, you know? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the scriptures. We'll talk about marriage and life as we put up your fence. And hey, would you help me later on when I put up my fence next spring, you know? He's like, You bet. Well, then you know what's going to happen. Next spring's going to come. I'll be like, Hey, Dave, you know, would you come help me? You know, I helped you put your fence up? Will you help me put my fence up? He's going to be like, I don't have any time, Pastor. You know, oil field's booming. I don't got any time. I'm going to have a grievance, all right? I mean, it's going to be things like that that, that permeate the church, okay? So there's going to be those situations. Now, the question is not, is there going to be conflict? The question is not, is there going to be grievances? The question is not, is there going to be strife? The question is not, is there going to be broken relationships? The question is, will Judge Jesus handle it or Judge Judy? Okay, that's the question. Well, how, how are we going to handle this deal in the church? Are we going to handle it? Okay, because here's what Paul says. Paul says, look, we're to handle our sin. We, we're to be people who deal with our sin. When, I, when I'm in the wrong, I need to deal with that. When somebody else is in the wrong, I need to help them to, to see what Jesus would say about this. We, we, we need to deal with our sin. We need not to take it to the world. Now, let me stop right here before we go any further into this whole court thing and just say, I understand. Please don't hear me saying, and I don't think the scripture is saying, that we never use the court system. Okay? It's not saying that. There are times when when going to court, going through the legal system, getting a lawyer is absolutely the right thing to do. In fact, in, in, in Paul's life, he did this. Do you, do you remember when he was falsely accused in Jerusalem and then he was kind of put on trial? And you remember what he does? He appeals to Caesar. You know what he was doing by appealing to Caesar? He was was appealing to the Supreme Court of the land, okay? And so, so Paul himself used the court system. And there are times where you need to use it. I need to use it. Listen, in criminal cases, we need to use the court system. You know, if there's a murder in your backyard, you look out your window and then one guy shoots another guy and you're, you're a vigilante hero, you, you, you know, put on your track shoes, you chase that guy down, you tackle him, duct tape, tape his hands, please do not bring him to my house, okay? Don't say, hey, pastor, you said don't use the courts, so here, here's the murderer, you, you go, you go ahead and figure out what you're going to do with him, you know, do you have an electric chair, you know, don't do that, well, you need to call 911, okay? You need to call the police, you need to, you need to, you know, get this guy to where he needs to be. There'll be a lawyer assigned to him. He'll go to court. There'll be a trial. That's what's supposed to happen. Romans 13 tells us that is a good thing for those things to happen. It's a good thing to have a legal system, all right? So, so it's not talking about that. In fact, I would even say this passage does not say that even believer and believer that there's never a place for a court type system. Um, that's, that, I, I don't think it never does say if you read through this passage, it never commands that we never go to court. Yeah. 
In fact, I, I can imagine a scenario in my mind where, where maybe a grievance is, is tried to get settled in the church, okay? Someone says, hey, you know, pastor, would you and some other men come, you know, meet? Let's meet together. Let's try to figure this thing out. And, and there's just somebody who just won't do it. They, they won't accept the church's authority. They won't accept, you know, spiritual counsel. They don't regard the Bible. Um, may, maybe, maybe this thing's of such great importance that, like, many lives are going to be affected. May, may, maybe someone's going to be financially devastated. I could see a situation where I don't think it would dishonor the Lord. You know, for that to happen, okay? But, but, but definitely the plan of God, the plan of God, listen to me here, the plan of God is for Christians to deal with their own sin, okay? For us to deal with our sin in a biblical and a godly way. Let me give you some spiritual foundations before we go any further. One of the spiritual foundations in conflict, and Jesus is the one who told us this, is that we ought to be people who reconcile quickly, okay? That's one of the spiritual foundations of, uh, of, of relationships, is that we are to be a people who reconcile quickly. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, it says, If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Okay? So, so there's a spiritual principle here where Jesus says, look, you need to deal with the broken relationships in your life. If you're a church and you, you're, you're about ready to worship God and you're about ready to give your, your gift to the Lord and, and you remember you've got a broken relationship, you're, you're, you're at odds with a brother. I mean, you guys haven't tried to settle this. You haven't tried to get it right. You haven't tried to work it out. You haven't tried to deal with your sin. You haven't tried to deal with their sin. You've just ignored it. You've just handed it over and you're taking them to court, whatever. You know what the Bible would say? The Bible would say, why don't you leave church and get that thing right? The Bible says that that's the importance of it. Do it that quick. In the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a great rule here. Verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let me ask you, when does the sun go down? It goes down every night, doesn't it, right? And so if you get into a conflict with somebody, let's just be legalistic about this. If you get into a conflict with somebody right after sundown tonight, how long do you have to be mad? Till the next night, right? You, you got to figure that deal out in 24 hours. You got to figure it out. That, that's the longest period. But, 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 but most of the time you don't have 24 hours. If Bonnie and I, if we hurt each other's feelings and we're at odds with one another here this morning, leaving out the, the service, you know what the Bible would say? By tonight, by small groups, she and I need to have that deal worked out. We, we need to be reconciled. We need to be praying together. We need to be hugging and say, man, I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, and I didn't mean that, and I didn't mean that. You know, we need to work that thing out. I mean, the biblical principle is Christians are people who strive to, to give great effort to working out their problems quickly, okay? And the reason for this is we are uniquely designed, we are uniquely equipped to do so. Let me explain that. We're people of the cross. Isn't that true about us? We are people who realize we're broken. We, if anybody, realize why conflicts happen, it's because we're sinners. We realize we don't always see things correctly. We don't always say what we ought to say. We don't always do what we ought to do. We are sinners. We're broken sinners. And we have come to God, who, who, who we've sinned against, and God has given us great grace, and He's died for our sins on the cross, that we might be free of them, that we might empty our sins upon Jesus and receive His righteousness and receive the Spirit of God's power to not sin anymore. See, we're the ones that understand that process. We're the ones that understand what God has done for us and what, what he will equip us to do for others. And therefore, we are uniquely designed to be people who seek reconciliation. Notice what Paul says here in chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. 
He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you guys know that about yourselves? You know, if you're a born again believer, one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up his kingdom and you're going to reign with him. That's what, that's what the book of Timothy tells us. You're going to reign with Jesus. You're going to be a part of judging the world. And so Paul says, look, if that's true about you, can't you handle reconciling when someone gets their feelings hurt? Can't you handle reconciling when there's been some kind of dispute or grievance? I mean, believers are uniquely qualified. We are the ones who are possessed with the Holy Spirit. We're the ones who have the Word of God. We're the ones who are joined to Jesus Christ, who are children of God, who belong to King Jesus, who are in the family of God, who have the mind of Christ, who have the ability to pray and to seek the counsel of the Lord. And so doesn't it make sense that we would be a people who make make quick work of reconciling our differences? That ought to be the case. That's what Paul's saying is you guys ought to handle your, your, your grievances and you ought to handle them quickly. We see a, a perfect example of this in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi and, and he interrupts his thought in verse 2 to call out two believers. He says, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche. Okay? Now those are kind of hard names for us. We don't; those aren't names people use anymore. So we'll just go ahead and put different names to them. I entreat Winnie and Beulah. Okay, I entreat Winnie and Beulah to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so in this church, Winnie and Beulah, they were at odds with one another. Some kind of dispute about who took what bowl in the kitchen, you know, and and who, who was making the roast beef for a funeral or some kind of thing like that. And there's a dispute and there's anger and, and there's a quarrel and these two ladies have, have got a broken relationship and then it's, it's not a good feeling in the church. And you know what the... You know what Paul says in Philippians? He says, ladies, you get that deal right. And then he says, everybody else, and you guys help them. Okay, that, that's the kind of people we're to be. We're to be people who, who, who get our, our differences reconciled quickly. And if we do not do that, Paul says, we are a horrible witness to the world. Look at verse 5. Okay, he, he, he says, I say this to your shame. You know, he says, you guys are bringing your, 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 your petty differences to the to public courts. He says, you ought to be ashamed of that. That's a shameful thing. Why is that a shameful thing? Well, Jesus told us in John 13, 35, that the world would know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. Okay? The world's going to know. Your neighbors are going to know. Our community's going to know that we are Jesus' disciples by the way that we love one another. Now, friends, if we're not loving one another... If we're not living that out, folks, that's going to affect our, that's going to affect our, our witness. If we're bringing our petty junk into the world, and why do I say petty junk? Well, look at verse 2, okay? He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? What does Paul call them? He calls them trivial cases. Now, he may just be saying that because he's comparing trivial cases to to judging the world with Jesus, okay? That, that may be what he's talking about. Um, I'll, I'll agree with you, maybe if you would say this, that there are times where things are really complicated. Every once in a while, every once in a while, there's a really complicated thing, right? Someone has a, a maybe a, uh, a business deal with another believer, and there's a contract involving multiple parties and involving multiple layers of business and multiple companies, and the thing's so complicated that you need nine lawyers to read it, okay? I, there, every once in a while, there's something like that, you know? That, you know, you might bring it to the church and we might be like, ugh, I don't even understand how this thing works, okay? You need to get a lawyer, okay? Maybe, okay? But you know what? 
Most of the time, let me give you my 15 years of experience here at Lincoln Avenue. Most of the time, it's not stuff like that. You know what it is most of the time? Somebody hurt somebody's feelings. Yes, isn't that it? Someone stepped on somebody's toes. You know, so, someone, they thought they were, they, were, they were doing this, you know, and someone stepped in and now they're doing it, you know. Or I thought I was the VBS director, but now you're the VBS director. And, you know, I, th- I thought we ordered those for me, me and my group, but now you guys got them. And we were going to use the fellowship hall, and then you didn't use the fellowship hall. And we picked out pink carpet, and you got brown. I mean, most stuff is stuff like that, isn't it? I mean, that, that's what it is. You know, it's, it, it, it's, really, it's really trivial stuff. It's hurt pride and hurt feelings and small stuff. And here's what Paul's saying. Look, you are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again believer, if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Spirit of God lives in you, then you are the representative of Jesus to the world. Okay? When you go to lunch today and you offer your tip, that waitress is going to think of Jesus, what she sees in you. Okay? I mean, the way you work, the way you will pay your bills, whether you show up on time, whether you keep your word, whether you fulfill your part of the contract, all of that is, is, is a representation of the character of Jesus Christ because you call yourself a Christian. And therefore, we've got to live that out in the world. And can you imagine what this looked like? You know, you got, you got two believers from First Baptist Corinth, you know, going at each other's throat in the courtroom, you know, making accusations, and there's veins showing in the neck, and they're both the man, and they're trying to win, and they're trying to get their brother's stuff, you know. And after the whole thing's over, you know what they do? They both pull out a track, and they leave it on the judge's desk. Hey, we hope you come to First Baptist Corinth someday. We want you to meet Jesus. He'll change your life, make you just like us. Great. Yeah, that's what I want. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. It's already a defeat. Now, now why does he say it's already a defeat? Well, he says that because what are you trying to do when you take somebody to court? You're trying to win, right? We want to win. Every time I see Brian Billings with a tie on during the week, I know that he's been to court. You know, because that's the only time he wears a tie. That's how you know if Billings is in court or not. And so whenever I see him with a tie on, the first question I always ask him is, did you win? You know, he gets kind of frustrated with that. He's always like, Pastor, it's more complicated than that, you know. But I want to know, did you win? You know, what happened? Did you win or lose? You know, uh, I know you've been to court. I know you, you represented somebody. Did, did you win? You know, well, you, you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, you know what? You already lost. Okay. You, you, you stepped onto the court step. And you lost. Now, now why, why would he say you lost? Well, look, look at what he says down here in verse 7. He says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Friends, would you believe that sometimes it would be better to lose financially than to lose spiritually? You know, sometimes we ask the wrong question. You know what the question is we always want to ask? We always want to ask is, is it my right? Right? That's what we want to ask. Is it my right? We, want to, we always want to ask, is this my right? Do I have the right for this money. I have the right for this time. I have the right for this situation. I have the right for you to treat me this way. I have the right. I mean, that's what we want to, we, we want to focus on, our rights. Okay? But maybe there's another question to ask. Maybe, maybe the second question we ought to ask is, what is going to be the cost to demanding my rights? Man, I tell you what, apply this just to the most personal relationships in your life. Marriage, okay? 
Man, there's tons of stuff in this right here for marriage, okay? If you want a marriage passage, read this one, okay? Because it's, I mean, we're going to get to marriage in chapter 7. It's coming up, all right? But I think this one is just as good for marriage, all right? Because you you know what happens in marriage all the time? We, we We want our rights, right? You know, I have the right for you to act a certain way, you know? And I have the right for you to do this for me and clean the house and do this and bring on whatever. And we always want to focus on our rights, okay? And just as a husband, let me tell you, there have been a whole lot of times where I knew that I had the right to something, but the second question came into my mind, what's it going to cost me to demand my rights? (laughs) Guys, get this. Look at all the guys. And they, yeah, yeah. I might win, but I might lose. So let's ask the question, what, what is it going to cost to demand my rights? You know, let's say that, uh, let's just say that Ed and I, let's say we have a conflict. We got a conflict and uh, we, we're at odds with one another and there's hurt feelings and maybe there was a financial thing involved and uh, man, we're mad at each other and we're going to take this thing to court. Now, let's just let's just play out that scenario, okay? Let's just play out that scenario. What's that going to cost? Well, first of all, it's going to cost Jesus honor, okay? Ed's a Christian in this town. Lots and lots of people know that. Everybody he works with knows that. Everybody in his neighborhood knows that. He's a small group leader in this church. He's ran our team kid ministry. There's all kinds of people in this community that know that, Je- that Ed Evans professes Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of people in this community that know that I profess Jesus Christ. They know me as the pastor of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. They may have never been to our church, but I've done a funeral for them. I've done a wedding for them. I've spoke at some public event, the high school baccalaureate, and they know that I'm a believer. And so you know what happens? When they hear that Ed Evans and Jason Dirks are going at each other, you know what? Jesus loses honor. Jesus loses honor. What's that? What's that worth? Just keep that in your mind. Number two, I lose a brother. I lose a brother. Ed and I got sweet fellowship now. We, we, can, we can pray for each other. We can encourage each other. Every time we see each other, we, we try to build each other up in the Lord. He tells me what's happening in a small group. You know, I pray for him and his family. He prays for me. I know he does. He's always looking to encourage me. But if, if we're at odds with one another and we decide we're not going to reconcile this deal, we're just going to take it to the court and see who wins. I lose a brother. What's that worth? This church loses unity, doesn't it? Because it's not just about Ed and I, you know. But all of a sudden now people are taking sides, right? Tyler, he takes his dad's side. Guy. Marilyn's probably the only one to take my side because she knows Ed. <laughs> but we start splitting up, wouldn't we? Yeah, we start splitting up. You know, we'd have little pockets over here for Ed. And we'd have little pockets over here for me. The church would be divided. What's that worth, folks? What else would it cost? You know what it would cost? It would cost me in my relationship with Jesus, and it would cost Ed in his relationship with Jesus. Some of you are going to try to argue against this, but I I tell you what, it's 100% true in my life. When I have a conflict with somebody, my relationship with the Lord suffers. Every time. Every time. Every time. Who is it? No, who is it on the phone? You want me to talk to him? That's Winnie ringing. No, I don't know. All right. Where was I? I lost my place. Oh. I'm so sorry. 
No, that's all right. That was good. That woke people up. There were several that were dozing off. Now they're back in it. They're back in the game now. Every time I have a, a broken relationship, it's hard for me to pray. Anybody else? It's hard for me to read the scriptures. You know, you know what my mind does? It runs that over and over. You do that in your head. You know, you run over how that person's wrong and what they said and what they did. And man, how you're angry. And they had no right. They had no right to do that. You know, the more you think about it, the more wound up you get. And after all I've done for them, and I always do that. And, and they always let me down. Then pretty soon you start adding other things into it. Everybody always lets me down. And everybody at that church, they're not supporting me. And I do all that stuff. You, you start... You know what happened to your spiritual life? It just starts tanking, okay? Let me ask you, what's that worth? What's that worth? How about your witness in this town? What happens if Ed and I go at each other? You know what's going to happen? There's going to be some people, they're not going to listen to us. We go try to tell them about Jesus. Like, I know who you are. I saw that junk. I saw you and Ed Evans going to each other's throat. You tell me that Jesus changes lives? So, let me ask you, what is that worth? And I want you to actually think about that. Let's, let's put a price tag on it. Is it worth 50 bucks? If, if, if what Ed and I got, you know, if, we, if, we, if what we're going after is this 50 bucks, is, is it worth 50 bucks for Jesus to be honored, for a relationship to be broken, for church, church unity to be smashed, for our witness to be ruined, and for our personal relationship with Jesus to suffer? Let me tell you what, 50 bucks is not worth two hours of my relationship with the Lord being down. Okay? I mean, for me. All right, well, let's up a little. Is it worth 100 bucks? How about, how about, a, how about a thousand, maybe? Let's, let's get some big money here. How about a thousand? Who we got? Yeah, I wish I could do an auctioneer, you know? How about a thousand? How about 10,000? How about 100,000? Now some of you are like, maybe it's worth 100,000. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, 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 that's bigger. And, and I'm not saying it's not. I'm, I'm just saying we've got to think this way. I mean, the second question you've got to ask after you ask, am I right, is, is it worth it? Okay? I mean, that's what Paul's asking here. Is it worth it? Is it worth it for that, for that loss to happen in my life spiritually? You see, friends, how you see your rights is going to greatly affect your spiritual life. It's going to greatly affect your marriage. It's going to greatly affect your friendship. You know, some of you have struggled all your life with friendships. And you know why? Because you have a, you have a, a very high value of what your rights are. You don't, you don't like to give people freely. You, you like to demand it ought to be this way. It ought, you ought to be this way. You ought to do this. You ought to act this way. And man, just people keep disappointing you over and over and over, you know. And you're kind of convinced it's everybody else, you know. Let me tell you what Jesus said about this. This is a tough passage. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek. All right, let's stop right there. Someone, someone slaps you on the right cheek. Now, let's, let's ask the first question. What, what do they deserve? What, what's my right? It, it's my right for to send them to the dentist. Isn't that what my right is, right? I mean, it's my right to hit them back. It's my right to hit them a little harder than they hit me so that they'll learn a lesson about not being such a jerk, right? I mean, that's what my right is. All right, let's see what Jesus said. Jesus said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. All right, let's keep reading. If anyone would sue you, 
and take your tunic. So they take you to court and they win. They win. They win. They, they get the shirt off your back. Let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. My friends, you know what that's called? First of all, it's called crazy. All right? That's just crazy, isn't it? For someone to slap you on the right cheek, you to turn the other also. I mean, someone take you to court and they take your shirt. And you chase them out of the courthouse and give them your coat too. Someone demands you go one mile with them. You say, hey, why don't, why don't you just let me carry this another mile? I mean, that's just crazy. But you know what it's called? It's called grace. Okay? That's what it's called. And, and if you're a born-again believer here today, every one of you has experienced grace. You know why? Because that's what you got from Jesus. Because you see, here's the reality about the gospel. You sinned against God. And it was His right to punish you. It was His right to place judgment upon you forever and ever. And God gave up that right. And He sent His Son, Jesus, to take your place. And He poured His wrath out on Jesus. And then He gave you grace instead. And you know what, friends? That's a beautiful thing. Whenever you see grace, man, I mean, it's, it, it's life jarring. How many of you have seen that movie, Les Miserables? Have you seen the movie, Les Miserables? Man, if you haven't seen that, only like four people. What in the world? What? Janet's seen it. You guys got to rent that. Um, don't what I've seen. I know there's several versions of it. It's a play. It's a book. Uh, the one I saw was Liam Neeson, I think, was in it. It's a, kind of a Hollywood or one type. But there's a great scene at the beginning of the movie. And, and here, let me just kind of lay it out for you. There's a criminal, and, and he, he's staying with these folks. These folks give him, like, charity. They give him grace. He's staying with them, or somehow he's in their home. And, and, and when he leaves, he steals their stuff, okay? So just picture it. You take somebody into your home, and that somebody steals your stuff, you know? And he takes off, steals their stuff, takes off. Well, the police happen to be in the area, and they catch him. And they bring him back to the people's house, okay? And you know what the people do? The people come out and they're like, I can't believe you ran away. I can't believe you took that stuff. You forgot the silver, you know? And they, they, they get a bunch of their, their, their precious, you know, expensive stuff and they give it to him. And the police are like, he didn't steal that? And they're like, no, 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 no. We gave him that, but he left too early. We gave him a bunch of other stuff, and he didn't take it with him. Now, now don't, now, you know, you should, you should have took that with you. Now, go on, you know. And the guy gets this incredible load of grace. And the whole rest of the movie is him living out that grace. I mean, he is fundamentally transformed by that act of grace. And you know what, my friends? The same thing has happened in your life if you're a born-again believer. And you ought to be fundamentally transformed by grace. Now, the problem is, what about justice, right? That's the problem, right? Now, some of you, it's not so much a problem. Some of you others, man, it's a big problem. And a lot of this is just temperament. I've got five kids. I've got one of them that is just, by nature, almost full of grace, you know? I mean, she'll let anybody, someone takes advantage of her, takes more of her time, whatever. I mean, she just gives, gives, gives. I've got another kid who carries a gavel in their pocket, you know. They were, they were in Fifth Street service and literally, you know, as I'm preaching this sermon, you know, they're saying, kill them all, kill them all, kill them all, you know what I mean? I mean, they're just, they're just a justice person, man. I mean, there's gavel, you know, coming down hard. I mean, I, I, when I, I got a little prayer list for each of my kids and man, for, for this, this daughter of mine, I mean, I just, you know, I got to pray for grace because she is 
is a justice person. She sees things black and white. You know, she, she's one of those people who tries really hard never to break the rules. And she expects everybody else never to break the rules, you know. And so some of you, I bet, I bet there's some others. I actually, I could name some people in here. Um, you're justice people too. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, actually, God is a God of justice, okay. But, but what do you do with this situation? Because this kind of stuff's really hard for you. When someone's done you wrong, I mean, it just wells up inside of you that this deal's got to be made right, okay? Let me give you two things I think are really going to help, okay? Number one, there will be justice, okay? It's, It's just a done deal. There will be justice. I promise you, the Bible promises you, there will be complete and thorough justice, okay? The guy that stole your watch, he is not going to be wearing it in heaven, all right? You're not going to walk by some guy on the street and be like, hey, that's my watch, you know? I mean, that's not going to happen, all right? It's not going to happen. You know why it's not going to happen? Because look at the next verse. Verse 9 says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not Inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, or greedy, or drunkards, or revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. They will not be there. Okay? Now some of you are saying, okay, hold on, pastor. Does that mean that if I've done any of those things, I won't be in the kingdom of God? No, it does not mean that. If it did mean that, we would all be in hell. But what it rather means is, look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Were. Were, were. If you're a believer, you're not that now. You might have been that at one time, but you're not that now. Why? Because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you were here last week, you know we talked about habitual sins and sins of weakness. You see, believers don't commit habitual sins. What's a habitual sin? That's a sin in which you say, all right, I know I'm sinning, and I know this is wrong, and I know what the Bible says about it, but I don't care. I'm just going to keep sinning. I'm just going to keep going. I'm, just, I, I'm living a lifestyle of this. And Jesus, you're just going to have to deal with it. Okay? And I'm going to justify my sin. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, well, you know, the Bible, this, that, or I'm really a good person. I'm going to whatever. But I'm just going to keep living in habitual sin. Believers don't do that. Now, there are times when believers sin. But when they do, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We turn in faith to Christ, we, we, we confess our sins, we look to the cross, we embrace the forgiveness and righteousness of Jesus, and then we get power from the Holy Spirit to not live that way anymore, okay? And that happens in a believer over and over and over again, but believers don't just live a habitual pattern of sin. And so what Paul is saying here is that don't be deceived, there's not going to be lying crooks in heaven, okay? There's not going to be unrepentant sinners in heaven. Now, now, here's what some of you are going to be. All right, the justice people in the room, they've already thought this thing through and they, they found a loophole. Okay, pastor, but what if the guy who stole my watch, what if he gets saved? Ha! Ah, then what? You know, I mean, they, they want to throw something. He got saved. Ah! You know, man, I was hoping he would go to hell, you know? First of all, first of all, you got a problem, okay? I mean, for real. If you've got a problem about someone getting saved and Jesus washing their sins away, you got a problem because you're in the same boat, my friend. Number two, if the person is truly saved and if they truly did you wrong, you know what I believe is going to happen? They're going to make it right. I did. This is really an embarrassing thing for me to tell. But uh, after I got saved, you know what I did? About six months into reading the Bible, and the Lord convicted me, I went back and I, 
I tried to make right everything that I'd done wrong. I, I know I couldn't make it all right, but the things the Lord brought to my mind, I made a bunch of phone calls. Hey, this is Jason Dirks. I don't know if you remember me. This happened a few years back, and I just want you to know I've become a Christian. The Lord's changed my life. And I want you to know, man, I, I'm sorry for that. And, and if there's anything I can do to repair that, I'd like to do that. I went to businesses. I was lost. I don't know if you knew this about me, but I was a lost kid. I'd stolen things from, from businesses, from people. You know what I did? I figured out how much that stuff costs. I knew it, and most of it was petty stuff, but I knew what it costs. And I figured it up, and then I wrote checks out. Cleaned out my bank account. I wrote checks out. I mean, I wasn't really, I was a college student, obviously. I didn't have much money. <laughs> but I wrote checks out, and I went to those businesses. I said, hey, you don't know me, but, you know, three years back or whatever, you know, I, I stole a CD or a tape from, from your store. And, you know, I saw on, on your on your on your shelf today that it cost this much. And so I've given this much and I've added a little extra just to make sure that, that that was covered. And if you feel like I need to do anything else, I'll do it. And, you know, it was a scary thing because I knew, man, what if what if one of them's like, yeah, I'm calling the cops. And that was just a that was a that was a risk I had to take. And I made it right. You know what? Can't we trust if there's something that needs to be made right and that person gets saved, they'll make it right. There'll be justice. One way or another, there'll be justice. Now, some of you, you've got a little another loophole here in your mind. You're like, okay, pastor, but what if the person gets saved and, and they, 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 don't, they don't see that they were wrong? All right, I've got to be real honest here. If it's a gray enough situation that it's not clear whether it was wrong or not, you probably just need to get over it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that, you know. You feel like this, you, you think this way, they think this way, and you're both Christians and you're both looking at the same Bible, you know. You know what? It's probably not a big enough deal for you to be losing your spiritual fervor over. So number one, there will be justice, okay? Number two, number two, please embrace this. You can trust Jesus to take care of you. You see, for the justice person, you know, you know what gets our goat? We, we feel like, man, if something isn't done, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose out. I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose time. I'm going to lose honor. I'm going to lose. I deserve this. Well, listen, can't we, can't we trust Jesus to take care of us? 1 Samuel 24, if there's ever a guy who had the right to take his own revenge, it was David. Saul was a wicked man. Saul had pursued David. He'd made his life a, just a living hell. He had, he had killed people that helped David. He had put his family out. He had stolen from him. David has a chance to take his revenge, but he doesn't. Listen to what he says, verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Who did David realize was the judge? May the Lord judge. David said, I'm not going to take this in my own hand, but I'm going to let the Lord judge. Psalm 37. Last verse, and then I'll, I'll tell you one story, and then we're done. Psalm 37, 5. This is, this is called meekness, my friends. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him. He will act. 
He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. You see that? You can trust God to bring your justice. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way. You see what the Bible is telling you? Be still before the Lord. Don't, don't let that stuff go in your head constantly. Man, just quit that. Be still. Fret not yourself over the man who carries out evil devices. You can trust God to take care of you. Maybe what you need to do, maybe you just need to give it to the Lord. Lynn Gabriel gave me a book last week. It's a children's book. That was you, gave that, wasn't it? It's called The Pineapple Story. <laughs> we read it midway through the week, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. I read, to, read it to my kids, and I was like, man, this is exactly what I'm preaching on this week. But it's a story of a missionary, a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And uh, this missionary uh, goes there to try to share the gospel with the natives of Papua New Guinea. And he builds a clinic so that they can bring, they don't have any medical care. So they can bring their sick children when they have disease. You know, they can come and get free medical care here at this clinic. He builds a store, you know, so that they can trade. He, he can give them salt and things that they need that they wouldn't, act, wouldn't be able to get. And, and, and so he's there for a while. And, and he decides one day, you know, he's going to do something special for his family and for the, for the people there. And so he, he, he plants a bunch of pineapples. You know, he's really excited because he loves pineapple. And so he plants a bunch of pineapples. He cultivates those pineapples for like three years. Okay. Three years. And then they're just about get ready to get ripe. He is so looking forward to eating some pineapple and maybe giving some away to some of the villagers. And all of a sudden... They start stealing his pineapples. Not like just a few of them, all of them, okay? Like he doesn't get any, okay? Like they'll, they'll go through and identify the ones during the day that are ripe, or getting ripe, and then they'll come at night and steal them before he has a chance to pick them, okay? And so these people he's ministering to, that he's built this clinic for, that he's built this store for, they're stealing his, his pineapples. And so he's a little bit of a justice guy. So you know what he does? He gathers all the natives around and he preaches. And he's like, you guys got to stop this. You're stealing. Stealing is wrong. It's breaking the Ten Commandments. You're displeasing God. You're sinning against me. You're sinning against God. You guys need to stop. All right. Took care of that. No, they keep, they keep stealing his pineapples, all of them. He doesn't get any pineapples, you know. And he gets so angry. I'm kind of shortening the story. He gets so angry, he shuts down the clinic and he shuts down the store. And he, and he has another meeting. He's like, all right, you guys won't quit stealing my pineapples. You're, you're, you're singing against God. You're breaking the law. And so I, I'm shutting down the clinic and I'm shutting down the store until you guys change. Well, they all just move away. You know, because they're nomadic. They, they, they don't, the only reason they're there is because of the clinic and the store, you know. So now here you've got a missionary with no people to minister to, all right? So he realizes that that's not going to work. So he opens the store back up and he opens the, the, uh, the, the, the clinic back up. But, but, but he's got another plan. He orders a German shepherd. Has a German shepherd shipped over. They don't have any big dogs on the island, all right? So he orders a German shepherd and he knows he'll be afraid of the German shepherd and they won't get in his field. And sure enough, it works. They're afraid of the German shepherd. They all leave again, okay? They're, so he's got nobody to minister to. And so he, he sends a German shepherd back. I'm kind of shortening the story up. And, and so finally he comes to a point, just in desperation, he gives the field to God. He's so frustrated. It's been happening for years. He just gives the field away. Did God, one day in his prayer life, God, it's yours. It's not my field anymore. They're not my pineapples anymore. I give them to you. Okay? Well, the people keep stealing them, you know? And he's like, well, see God? You know, but, but, but now they're not his. And so he didn't have, have a bad heart toward the people. He's ministering to them. He opened his clinic. He's selling to the store. You know, he's ministering to the people. He just doesn't care about the pineapples anymore because they're God's. It's God's. He gave it over to God. You know what happens? The villagers come to him and they say, Missy, I think that's what they call him, missionary. Missy, you became a Christian. And he's like, I've been a 
Christian. I'm trying to get you to become Christians. They're like, yeah, but we see, man, you're, you're, you're doing the things you told us about. Second thing that happens. Pretty soon, everybody stops stealing pineapples. Nobody's stealing anymore. He asked him, he says, what, what's the deal? You guys stop stealing my pineapples. Or you stop stealing the Lord's pineapples. And he says, oh. They say, well, man, the fish weren't biting. And we were out hunting and there was no game. And our, our babies were getting sick and our wives were getting sick. And we knew it's because we were stealing the Lord's pineapples. So we stopped stealing the Lord's pineapples. <laughs> what a great story. Maybe you got something in your life. Man, you just, you're angry. You're You're unforgiving. You got a grudge. Why? Because you know your rights. Maybe maybe what you need to do, maybe you just need to give that over to the Lord. And maybe it'd be better to suffer a little financially or power-wise or time-wise or just in your rightness and to trust the Lord to take care of you. Huh? Don't you think you'll do it? I think you'll do it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for, uh, for the cross, Lord. We know that without your grace, God, we'd be sunk. Uh, we'd have no hope. But God, you've given great grace, and Lord, we thank you for that, and we pray that we'd be a people who give grace to others. Father, we, uh, we give you our lives, God. We trust you with our justice. God, we trust you to take care of us. God, we trust you. Lord, I pray that that we'd be willing to be wrong, that we'd be willing to be at times defrauded, at times taken advantage of, just knowing that you're the kind of God that you're not going to let us down. And Father, we, we more than anything, we want to be a good witness for you. We, we want to live out the glory of Jesus to our community. So God, help us to reconcile quickly. Help us, Lord, to love each other well. In Jesus' name, amen.